Welcome to podcast number 38. Uh, this week it's time to run it back and shine the swingman spotlight on Jesus Shuttlesworth himself. Yes, that's right. Sugar Ray, Ray Allen. Uh, as always, I'm your host, George, joined as I am all the time by Louis and Lewis. And um, well, we'll start with Ray Allen and, and his time at the Bucks and being traded on on draft night, actually. And uh, Louis, as, as, re- as resident Minnesota <laughs> Stan here, how do you feel <laughs> kind of that, that trade went? Um. Well, obviously, it doesn't look favourably upon the Minnesota Timberwolves. I think just drafting decisions, GM decisions in the 90s were, were quite dodgy all round. But at the time, you know, he was traded for Starbury Marbury, who he was hot. He, no. he's a good player. He was a good player. And coming out of the, uh, the draft, he was hot shit. I think he was probably <laughs> perceived as a bit... Maybe like that star quality that maybe Ray Allen didn't really exude from from day one, if that makes sense. He's the kind of guy who could come in and change a franchise. And also it made sense. They already had KG there. Point guard, yeah. big mm. man combo. It, it was. It's not exactly like an absolutely awful decision. Obviously, you'd rather have the two top 100 NBA guys together than Starbury Marbury, which you know, he, he went on. I don't know how long he spent at the Minnesota at Timberwolves anyway, but... um. You know, it was a good draft, and uh, in in and around that air, area, I don't think you were going to get someone that was particularly bad because no, we, we've talked about the 1996 draft and we've done uh, the Allen Iverson. Yeah. yeah, it's just full of genuine, well, there's a couple of Hall of Famers, a couple of really good players like Pe- uh, Peja Stojakovic, I think I pronounced that yeah. right, and uh, Jermaine O'Neal was a good player as well. So I, I'm not entirely mad from a Minnesota standpoint, to be honest. Yeah, that draft was stacked, as you mm. said. Stoyakovic, obviously, had Allen, Allen Iverson going number one, Steve Nash at 15, yeah. the late Kobe Bryant at 13. It, yeah, it was, it was a stacked draft that year. Most definitely. One of the great ones, actually. Yeah, but the drafting at the, at the start, minus Allen Iverson and Ray Allen, wasn't too great. Well, you mean Sharif Abdul Rahim? Yeah, think it was yeah <laughs> some things along those lines, yeah. I mean, uh, I can really understand at that point in time. Uh, maybe Kobe going quite late or early teens, actually, because he was coming out of high school. That wasn't exactly well perceived Mm. back then. Uh, Steve Nash. There's no way you could have told me he was going to be a two-time MVP coming into the league. But um, Mm. Ray, I think, was like a a pick that was sort of stable. Like, it wasn't one that was going to go really, really badly. Um, But it wasn't... I don't think it was perceived as one that was completely franchise-altering, franchise-changing. Which I think is kind of like a a good summary, really, of what he was like as a player. I think we'll get into that in a little bit. Just like mm. a really, really solid player that can get you wins. You, I don't think you'll have a bad team if you build around Real. But maybe he's not at that type of higher, higher echelon that guys like Kobe, maybe Iverson as well, were at. Mm. Yeah, I'd agree with that. 
Uh, in any case, shall we move on to his time at the Milwaukee Bucks? Yeah, we'll start with his rookie year. There's mm. not a ton to say on his rookie year, to be honest, because he had he had a decent rookie year. It was nothing mm-hmm. unbelievable. He averaged like 13 and a half points, just under. And unfortunately, as as with a lot of teams that are drafting up quite high, they're very good at the time. So no. the Bucks didn't have a great season. They were 33 and 49 and missed the playoffs that year. Yeah. So. Well, the There's Bucks in that. Yeah. In that period, anyway, like the 90s, the Bucks were just kind of irrelevant in the NBA. They yeah. didn't make the playoffs. I mean, I think when he landed in Milwaukee, actually, they hadn't made the playoffs in five years. They wouldn't make the playoffs for another couple of years when he he d- did play for them. So uh, it was a sort of culture building season, shall we say, rookie yeah. years, the couple of years that came afterwards. Nothing too much to report on, nothing too much we can say. Yeah, All I will say you... is... No, I was, was going to say is that all I will say as we go through these first couple of years, you see a confidence level building in terms of the three point shots were taken that he was taking. Yeah, sorry. and just in general, uh, as you said, when it, when he came out of the draft, mm-hmm. people didn't see him as that star star franchise altering player. Yeah, but uh, you see in the next couple of years as he develops he starts to really jump up in points. You see that confidence grow. Yeah. And then he, tur- he, he tur- what maybe a lot of teams or some teams didn't see in the draft. Yeah. And I think, obviously, they didn't value his three-point shot because uh, that just wasn't a really valued thing at the time. Uh, mm. But he was sort of much ahead of the curve in in that respect. We talk about Vince Carter being ahead of the curve. Ray Allen's on a completely different level. Obviously, yeah. he's career uh sorry he's the top of the all-time list in terms of three points made and i think three points taken as well um and Mm. you see even in these early years he's taken so many more three-point shots than anyone else uh Mm. is that's what i I think in terms of him being drafted in in his rookie year considering the fact of that you're a rookie and everything and especially in that time frame he's averaging almost well he basically is averaging four threes a game on mm. 39.3% percentage so it's kind of like coming out as a rookie even if you're in the the small market that the bucks were and you can still argue still are it's it was it's quite big for a rookie to do that regardless yeah. of size or stature of wherever you're getting drafted and and the hype around you so it says a lot about his personality i think uh and uh, I didn't going into doing the research for this podcast. I didn't exactly perceive Ray Allen as someone who was particularly outspoken or like I yeah. don't know a really personality. But it did seem like when I was doing my research that he, you know, he butted heads with a couple people. Yeah, well, I agree. especially teams. When, yeah, yeah. When you hear a lot of well, not not even just at certain teams. I think even when you hear, which we'll get into a bit later, the troubles at Milwaukee sometimes between yeah. him and some of the people there. It shows you maybe some of the things that you don't see a lot in Ray Allen outwardly come up. I think you see it outwardly in his game, though, in terms of the three-point shot taking. That takes a lot of confidence, particularly at that period in time, to yeah, take time that many. Popular. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Um, that being said, I think this first season we can really pinpoint here as a key one we should analyse is 2000-2001, which we have probably approached from a number of different perspectives at this at this point in time we had the Shaq season and then we had Alan mm. Iverson this is his best season probably Vince Carter's best season as well so I think we know this season inside out at this stage <laughs> yeah but, we've, um, we've covered it quite a lot yeah 
but this was the season he made his second all-star appearance uh mm. pretty well-rounded bucks team uh this year they yeah. got to the second thing so it's, it's interesting because looking yeah. looking at his whole time with the bucks this season whilst his performances himself aren't an anomaly because you slowly see it getting better and better yeah. this season just for the bucks seems like quite an anomaly because they they are in the earlier seasons prior to this you know a kind of middle of the pack uh, well terrible initially but then they get a little bit better and they're kind of a middle of the pack team mm. and then they have this massive jump this year and then the next year they go straight back down to be in that middle of the pack team so it's quite interesting yeah. i mean it was quite a like he was the obviously go to like the main guy the best player mm. on the team but he didn't really have a second star per se I think it was just very well-rounded around him. Mm. You know, they've got Glenn Robertson, Sam Cassell, Tim Thomas. Yeah. Lindsay Hunter was another one. He averaged double-digit points. All of them averaged double-digit points in the season. Mm. A young Michael Redd, who a cult a cult favourite, that guy, uh, on the NBA 2K anyway. Um, <laughs> but, like, it was just sort of like a well-rounded machine, if that makes sense. Not one that exuded that star quality maybe that was in... Los Angeles, maybe it was even in like Philadelphia, Toronto, because they had the the star main guy. But I, it just was, you know, a well-oiled machine that worked well. I wouldn't mm. say that uh, it's hard. It's harsh to say that he wasn't a star of that. If that is that the, when you're suggesting that, um, because I, don't I mean, think he if, means that. Go on, I, I won't speak for anyone. Else. If the team makes him the highest paid player in franchise history at that stage, there is yeah. a certain level of aura that the team will have for that player. They're not going to just pay him for paying him's sake, as later on found out. But it's more of that. I see what you mean in terms of his persona that he gives off of that whenever you've seen Ray Allen and, and the vibe that you, you pick up on little interaction or little screen time of Ray Allen. But... I think it's hard not to. He, ne- I know he was never in the top top tier, but he's still a star. Like it's kind of he was a star. A he's not a superstar. Though. If that, it, like, this is a topic I think we'll broach a couple times in this podcast mm. because it is it's an interesting topic. Because if I was drafting, like you said, the '96 draft, if I'm going through players that I really, really want on my team who I think will lead me to win a championship, I'm obviously going Kobe first at that. But I think I'd maybe have Ray Allen over Steve Nash or Ryan Iverson in some cases because I think he's just he raises your floor, but I don't think he's an ultimate a ceiling changer to the level that someone like in this season's shall we say like Iverson or Kobe are, if that makes sense. Essentially, like, basically not someone that you'd build a franchise around, but an unbelievable piece I don't for your say franchise that. that would that would fit in any team, maybe. Kind of. I think he is a an absolutely. I think he's a little bit of a supporting player from that. Yeah. yeah. Somewhere in he's between a, that is where I'd say. He's just like an immense supporting player to me, but not someone who I think I would be confident that this guy can lead us to the promised land, as yeah. uh, as George Carl did in, in an interesting uh, <sighs> s- sort of swerve in this sort of time, because obviously he was the coach here at Milwaukee. He, he was at the Seattle SuperSonics throughout the nineties. Done some good work there. Um, but he didn't. He didn't like Ray Allen for some reason. What uh, Ray Allen says, he doesn't know why. I'm not sure if that's particularly true, yeah. but that's what he says. Um, yeah. So obviously we've gone on from the 2001 season here. 
and just ju- just. Uh, we can go quick... back to it. I just wanted to. Yeah, I, I just point out a couple of things from that. Is yeah. He, as you said, second or so appearance. He won the three point shootout that year, mm-hmm. and they lost in seven games to the 76ers, who, yeah. you know, as you said, we've covered before this season. And they this is a highlight for Ray Allen. In game six, he led the team to victory with a his then mm-hmm. playoff high of 41 points. And that yeah. year was the All NBA third team. So, in terms of the Bucks, this was definitely his highlight year. Yeah, they should have beaten the Sixers that year, in my personal opinion. Because Are you believing in the in the fake thing about how they got let, they got more personal fouls, and that the NBA wanted to see a Sixers Lakers final instead of a small one. Is this is this? Um, are you buying into that, Louis? Really? Are we going to go down this? Uh, road? No, I'm not going down the conspiracy route. I just think I feel like they had a more well-rounded team. I think like the Sixers, we, we we talked about this when we done the Allen Iverson podcast. I feel like it was Iverson, and, yeah. and not a great it. supporting cast. Matombo yeah. was good in this series, to be fair. I think he averaged like sixteen yeah. points and well, fifteen was rebounds. Very good. He was defensive player yeah. of the year that year. Yeah, but in terms of the offensive load, I felt like you know, it's like all I said, Iverson, essentially, yeah, yeah. And then with the Bucks, you got five players who are averaging double digits, and Ray Allen, who's pretty, you know, he's he's not averaging like a massive amount behind Alan Iverson in any case. So I thought, and Alan Iverson was also not fully healthy in this series. So it's tr- I mean, if, look, if, you, if, if, if we pick that game up and all the players and everything surrounding it and you play that game in today's era, they probably do win that series. Mm. But unfortunately, because of the way basketball was played back then, they didn't really play up to the yeah, strengths. That's a fair point. That squad. Mm. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I think that that, that, right, that rings true for, quite a lot of Ray Allen's time. We've said this about a few players beforehand, but it really is a, a player that was ahead of the curve in terms of the three-point range, and he was ahead of the game and where it was going to progress. Arguably, he'd be a much better player if he'd have started his career sort of 10 years later, and you can look at his accomplishments then. But that all being said, it, it's nothing to kind of take away from from his time at the Bucks. He had a good showing in that in that last in that last stint in terms of in terms of 2001. Um yeah. But that was kind of it, really. Um, yeah, I mean, a last thing I'd say quickly on the Bucks thing, so it's obviously a little bit into the future, but in 2008, the Bucks, I think it was celebrating 40 years of the organisation. Yeah, They had their 20 greatest players, and he was named as the third best player in Bucks oh, really? franchise history. And I don't know that's if that nice. says more about Ray Allen or, or the Bucks. Bucks as a franchise. I yeah. know what. <laughs> They had Kareem and Oscar Robertson. To be yeah, fair. exactly. It's hard to figure out. <laughs> it's, quite it's, far, it's quite a far. It's quite a massive like difference a, between yeah. them and, the, uh, and third. Yeah, but, but it, um, it just goes to show yeah. how good of a player, even in these early stages at the Bucks, he was. I mean, you mentioned Lewis about there was sort of like this one standout season for the Bucks, and then they just take a massive dip. It is quite confusing when you look at it. I don't really have a thing to point to. I know they had mm. a few injury like a poor a poor injury records in those next couple of seasons. But also there were issues between the coach, George Carl and Ray Allen, yeah. like, like I alluded to a little bit. Maybe that had something to do with it. I I think George Carl may not have liked Ray Allen as much because maybe he wasn't the type of antagonistic leader, personality, whatever you want to call it, that mm-hmm. he had. Yeah, or maybe with Gary Payton. And if you look, he trades him for Gary Payton. Yeah, um, do you want to go on to that trade now then? Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, a, I mean, uh, as with all 2000s, 90s trades, it's an awful trade. Just it <laughs> makes no sense whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was, I don't, it, this, this is a bit of a different trade on the basis of that 
this was more of the Sonic. Uh, sorry, this was more of the Bucks seeing that. I can't remember the guy's name. They had a young shooting guard that was in Michael Red. Shadow. Might might have been. Yeah, they had, they had a guy Red. there. They had a guy there that they was pinpointing kind of the fact of that he was showing good signs of promising and this, that, and the other. And Ray Allen, whilst you kind of you make him your highest paid franchise player in the history of all time, you kind of want to see something better than what they'd already got potentially. Don't want to pay him the big bucks to then force him into staying for another few sets of years and it's kind of like it's easy to move him on but then at that time he's kind of your time's running out and your contracts and what you're going to get so deals like this still exist there are very bad trades that still go about for yeah, very for, yeah. for good players I, I wouldn't put this in the group of when we see trades like we did beforehand but um yeah, yeah, can say Vince you Carter. can give all the reasons you want for that trade is still a terrible trade yeah it's still a terrible yeah, trade but i think the the, the situation I, I think the reason is weak anyway I think I think it might have more to do with the internal issues. It was most definitely to do. He didn't like things, it because, yeah, looking at it, before, looking at it when I looked at it, apparently this is all you know allegedly, obviously, but the some of the reasons that were thrown about behind why the trade happened was, as you said earlier, the tension between Ray Allen and the then Bucks head coach George Carl, and when you look at either person's reasons behind it there was i think there's a few quotes circling around but i'm gonna paraphrase this because i don't know exactly word for word what it is but george carl cited there was, there was a difficulty in managing egos and apparently ray allen was a perfectionist and a really confident kind of person which is interesting because it goes against what he what he exudes when you just see him as a outside of basketball i think mm-hmm. so that's on the one hand on that side and then looking at Ray Allen's reasoning, apparently he thinks there might have been a bit of a power struggle between him and George Cole. So apparently Ray Allen was quite close to the, the owners of the Bucks. Mm. So there's just well, some food for thought there. None of it's, you know, none of that's definite. I, I mean, it's regardless on it, in terms of personal business within the NBA, especially at this time when it's starting to get a bit more monetized and there's more money flowing into the league, stuff like this, it, it you could get a sign and trade if you're going to go along. These things still existed in those times. It's not like it's we're talking 60 years ago. This is kind of this is 20 years ago now. Kind mm-hmm. of if you realistic, realistically, a player like Ray Allen, you don't trade him for the bit parts that you got there based off the yeah. fact that you've got a rookie coming through. You're going to sign him to a to a deal and then trade him if you're going to get that because there will be teams out there that are lesser markets than the Bucks that would have done that. So. Mm. Yeah, I still think that that was a large part behind it though because the reason the reason you said earlier while logic to it i just don't think it's very strong no i mean common sense just dictates you don't trade the way the 27 year old three-time ulster that, that that's mm. as good as it gets really i think and yeah. unless you're getting something immense for him like say like DeRozan and Kawhi leonard type thing <laughs> like this wasn't worth it they got like a 35 year old gary payton i think only played like 20 or so games and then he he didn't sign there so uh a little quote here from the former majority Bucks owner. His name is Herb Cole. He said that mm. trading Ray Allen was his most unfortunate moment in his 30 years of being an owner. And uh, I think I might have to agree with him there, but the Milwaukee yeah, Bucks have had some several unfortunate moments. So give or take. Yeah, it's right now, though. Well, yeah, no, you, I, I'm going to say it'll be interesting to see how we look back at this in about a year's time and see what they've done with Yanis. But mm. um, 
anyway, moving on from that. So kind of the, the trade went down and then he had a bit of a, an injury crisis in terms of 2003-04 when he was sidelined for quite a while. Um, and realistically, he didn't really kick start his supersonics career, I'd say, until um, 2005 running move for Rashad Lewis. Mm. Yeah. I think yeah, and I think it's a weird combination that one to me now. Even when I think of it now, like so, there was there's quite a few dubs of that being like the the original um, Splash Brothers, but it, yeah, yeah. but it's kind of like I can't see how that would work necessarily, even in today's game from it. But I mean, I think it worked. They're two play styles. It didn't. Work well, I mean, it didn't. Well. it didn't. It didn't go like amazingly, but it, it wasn't. Really, yeah. yeah, it was just average. Think... Just with players, with players like them too, I don't think it's hard to fit them in a team per se than, than with some other people and how they play. Obviously, as you said, it didn't, they didn't hit superstardom levels, but I think that's more to do with the ceilings of the players involved themselves and how they play. Mm. That's a fair point. So, I will say, interestingly enough, while he doesn't have the large success of his career in this moment maybe is the best you see of Ray Allen individually in these supersonics years. Yeah, I'd agree. I think he got empowered here. He was very key, like, you know, maybe in Milwaukee it was more of the share the share the food type of thing. This here was like, you are the main guy. Obviously Rashad mm. was there as well, but I don't think there's as much responsibility in him not to take the shots that he did. And if you look at this time, like, the three-point shot taking uh, taking is just like off the charts in comparison to the rest of the league. It really is, and um, it did result in some very fruitful individual seasons. Um, like you said, not too much material success, shall we say? They only made the playoffs once, I think, in his time there. And it was a good season that season, to be fair. But um, I- I'll say this goes down as quite a good legacy in terms of Seattle because he's probably the last great player that played for that franchise unfortunately it uh, obviously moved to Oklahoma City not long after he he left here so that's a nice little thing to add to his CV I think mm, yeah I mean just looking at that 0405 season yeah yeah about 24 points a game they got the third seed in the west which yeah. is you know no small feat although they did lose to San Antonio in the semis I mean yeah. and I think this year is the highest he gets in the All NBA teams. I think this All NBA second team this year. Yeah. I don't think he gets higher than that. Yeah, I think he only career, makes so. two All NBA appearances, doesn't he? It's that third team in a one and then the second team here, which uh, mm. I always look at the All NBA teams more than the All Star appearances. Personally, I feel like All Star appearances more like a a fan bait type of thing. Um, yeah, potentially. But yeah, but um, what was I going to say? That uh, San Antonio, they obviously lost to San Antonio in the Western Conference semis, but they gave him a good series, six games, not that bad. And San Antonio went and won the championship that year. So, you know, you can point mm. that down as a W, I suppose. But it's, it's not. Yeah, you can excuse it. It's, they yeah. didn't lose to, to a terrible team. Yeah. Yeah, so, just looking at the rest of his Seattle career, uh, a few of the highlights. 2006 in April, he moved into second on all-time three-pointers made behind Reggie Miller, and he broke Dent's record for three-pointers made. Has now been broken by one Steph Curry. Yeah, and he'll end up. Yeah, the evolution of shooting really has. You you can just look at those records from like Reggie Miller to 
to Alan to Steph, and you just see the prevalence of the three-point shooting just go up and up and yeah. up. Steph will probably end up displacing Ray at the top of those lists. Yeah, at the end of most of career. those records will be gone. Yeah, yeah. but in any and case, then, I don't. Oh, sorry. I was yeah, just going to say to to cap it off, the uh, twenty-six, just over twenty-six points he averaged yeah. in oh six oh seven, which was the highest of his career, and you could maybe point to. Uh, as his best season, not not his best moment, but best season, yeah. Yeah, uh, maybe in terms of a pure statistic. I know he didn't play as many yeah, exactly. games that season. Is the one thing that I would say to be. It's an impressive season, but nonetheless, I don't really have too much to say on the Seattle SuperSonics times. Yeah. Not really much for me to analyze there because, like we say, it's just a display of what he could do individually. But his best role was along someone better if that makes sense he he was better as an ensemble i think than a starring act and that's what we see in his next destination obviously i mean it, this is this is very true and i kind of want to art back then to the point of that when you see him being traded before and you say that the deals that are being made aren't good enough granted they're not but there is some truth then to be had on the teams that are then trading him. If, if your viewpoint is that he's not good enough to be that main guy, mm. why would they give him max dollars when they know he's not good enough to be a, their main guy for them? If you know what I mean? Yeah, that's fair enough. The trade sucked is the main point. Like, if you're going to do that, at least get, <laughs> get something good for the guy. He'll, he'll keep you terrible. competitive. That's the one yeah. thing I'll say. He'll keep you competitive. And that's if, if that's what you want to do as a franchise, you know, that. That's completely fine, and mm. but yeah, I do get what you mean. Um, it, it, the Milwaukee one still doesn't make sense to me because he had a yeah, lot of good years left. Personally, I'm not gonna. I wouldn't say a bit that with him, it would have been wasted years with him there because look what Milwaukee done in that time anyway. Like they were absolutely atrocious, and they didn't get good until they drafted. Quite luckily, drafted I'll say some skinny Greek kid in twenty twenty four thirteen. I might have got that wrong. I'm not sure, yeah. Um, so that trade is inexcusable to me. Obviously, what they got back and just the time frame of it. But Seattle, bit different, I suppose. And that franchise was obviously ending anyway. It was a bit of a dumpster fire them running it there. So, but yeah. Anyway, after the um, the record, well, after kind of breaking the uh, the three point field goals record um, in January. T- January the 12th, 2007, he had that career-high points against the Utah Jazz in an overtime win, um, second-most points scored in Seattle Supersonics history as well. Uh, and then about 10 days later, he had ankle surgery on both ankles, which Ooh. kind of posed a few questions in terms of the, I, I can't yeah. actually imagine what that must feel like, but um, ankle surgery on both ankles in this during the season. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, um, I know what one feels like, not, the, not two. <laughs> it's a... Uh, it kind of, he had quite an, not an injury plagued, but he seemed to have quite a few niggling injuries that would mean that it's kind of, you're missing, it's not like stuff that you could go, it's like day by day, it's kind of, you've got to have surgery for this and you're out for a while. And it's yeah. a bit of a shame to see when any NBA player has this, but um, yeah. I mean, it's the not it's play. not to the extent of major players and major injuries that you, that you see, but it's kind of cutting season short and it means you can't really get to see how your team's going to f- fully fit with him in it. That and so on. Um, yeah, I think I think the way Ray Allen played though helps mitigate the effect of those injuries as to 
opposed to someone like, for example, we talked about Vince Carter before, whilst he was still a good three-point shooter. A, a big part of his game was his explosiveness, whereas Ray Allen, you know, he was much more of a specialist when it came to shooting. And so that and how well he played into the latter years of his career, it, it helps to keep at a high and competitive level. Mm. Yeah, no. And I mean, it probably played a part, well, it most definitely did play a part in terms of the Supersonics trading over to the Boston Celtics. And that happened in June 28, 2007. The Sonics traded Ray Allen and Glenn Davis for the 35th overall pick in the 07 NBA draft to the Celtics in exchange for Delonte West. And, what an awful trade. Yeah, it is. And Wally, I can't pronounce that. Scherzbiak, I think how you say it. Scherzbiak. Something along those lines. Apologies if I butchered it. And the fifth overall pick. So um, it's kind of. I mean, the, the shortly after acquiring Alan, the Celtics went and got KG to play with them as well. So it's yeah. kind of that was one of the big. Uh, there was obviously there's been a lot of times of when you can try and trace back to big threes being started, but this is definitely a big three that you'd yeah. you'd, you'd you'd mention in terms of the fact of KG, Paul Pierce, and Ray Allen, and you put in Ray Allen as the the third option here and. I think this is the time where you can most definitely say that there was the clash of heads in terms of potentially personalities as well. There's also a time where this was tampering before tampering was a thing because they definitely all spoke about playing together beforehand on this. Um, And it's kind of... I don't really know how I feel about the way it started and the way it ended. I don't, know if you, okay. I don't know what your views on I mean, this. I don't have a problem. I don't have a problem with the way it started. You know, the players can do what they want. To be honest, oh, I don't know about that. hundred percent happens even when there's rules for it. But yeah, it's interesting looking back at these trades because the few years prior, the Celtics really did suck, uh, and they immediately get a lot better with what Danny Ainge did. And whilst, and secondly, whilst the trade for Ray Allen was once again a terrible one from the standpoint of the people that had Ray Allen. He was overshadowed by <laughs> by what happened in Garnet and yeah. the Timberwolves and what they did. So. Yeah, I mean, you say they they I'm I'm sure they did talk a little bit. They did call uh, maybe, but this is more of a it's not like a free agency thing if that makes sense where. Obviously, LeBron, Chris Bosch, and Dwayne Wade all decided they were going to sign in Miami at the exact same time and work out the cap space there. This is more of a GM thing where he's manoeuvring it and it's trades. And I'm not sure if they played as much a part in getting together as like uh, the Miami Heat Big Three did. This is definitely yeah. the start of the super team era, I'd say, where players join together rather than wanting to play against one another in the sense but I do feel like they're always reluctant to do that if that makes sense they were never so really really happy to be playing with one another I feel like it was just a, a product of what happened to them if that makes sense they're a lot yeah. of the ride yeah I think as well you can you can say that it was a GM thing, but at the same time, this is where also player power starts to become a factor. And a hundred percent, if there's something that they can do to push themselves towards a team, it will happen. Yeah. Um, but no, I agree. It isn't in comparison to kind of the the big three that happened down in Miami, but it's um, it's definitely along those lines. And it's kind of the way that I mean, Alan obviously the, the, his time in the Celtics was great, and I think it kind of gets overshadowed that 
the role that he took at the Celtics yeah. for it to happen as well. Because obviously coming off of being at the Sonics and kind of being the main guy right. there and then mm. taking that drop down to not even the second pick and the second option, you, you, you're going down to the to the third option here. Is It's going to have some adjusting and it's obviously something he probably thought about himself of the, look, I want to win now. This is, this is one of these yeah. guys where it looks at, you get this with NBA players where you can kind of see, do they A, want to just be the franchise player and they know they're going to be kind of a legend there and, and not go about, or do you want to win a chip and do you want to not ring hunt, but it's more of the take a step down and, and be that secondary or tertiary piece to, yeah. to go after it. So I feel like, yeah. sorry, I was just going to say that, Obviously, there needs to be sacrifices when you form one of these super teams. Definitely, when you're forming a big three, because that's you know more sh- less shots going for everybody. I feel like Allen out of the three definitely sacrificed more than the other two, mm. because if you look at his last season in Seattle, he was taking about 21 shots a game. That's a lot of shots a game, and even before that, he was consistently ranking among the top 20 in the league in terms of like usage. When you see him join Boston, both these stats just drastically go down more to more so than the other two do. Mm. Um, and I think it's a credit to him that he happily done this. And I think that it's the reason they did obviously go on to win an NBA championship. Uh, yeah. But I also think it may have placed him into placed his legacy into a bit of a hole where he is seen as the supporting player, and people don't remember the great times he did have as sort of a, a leading role in Milwaukee Bucks or in Seattle. Maybe that has led my thinking in terms of going into this podcast. I'm not too sure, but he was a great role, uh, not a role player, but a great, what's the word I'm looking for? Supporting player. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a difficult one when you weigh up a player's legacy and what you value. Do you value, mm-hmm that person that was a franchise player was the number one player on the team, reached his scoring feats, or do you place more importance on the rings, on how important they were as a piece in that team? Because there's no doubt he was an important piece. He wasn't just this guy ring chasing at the end of his career. Uh, And the other thing I would say as well is maybe whilst this isn't the best Ray Allen you see, and you could look to the Supersonics and his scoring feats there as the best version of him. Considering his play style, this might be the best fit yeah. for him. Uh, so, yeah. So I, I, w- I would agree with that as well. Even if we're saying that he was like a more of a peripheral figure, figure here, sorry, he did have a pretty big role in that NBA Finals, which they did win in 2008. I think he the second most points and he wasn't very far off of Paul Pierce in that regard and I think when you look at that it's against the Los Angeles Lakers obviously you had two really meshing styles here or alternating styles if you will you got the the three who are really trying to share the share the load and then you got Kobe who hadn't quite learned how to do that yet and I think Kobe individually obviously I think is far surpasses all of those players Mm. on a one-to-one level but when you put them all together it was really no match like he was always they was always going to win when it was like that and obviously they play him in 2010 different story I think Kobe had learned 
how to mesh a bit more of his teammates there. And I also think Pau Gasol was better in that series. Yeah. But Adam was really, really pivotal in one championship here and another championship later. And it's because he had a specialist tool set. I think that no one else in the league had at that stage. Yeah. I mean, do you want to get into that first finals now? Uh, yeah, we might as well. Um, I mean, uh, do, do you have a, a start-off point? Yeah, I mean, just looking at it, before we get to the finals, the Celtics mm. were the first seed in that yeah. season. They and their record also meant that they were, they did have the home court in the finals, which was the only time in the 2000s decade that a team from the East actually had the home court advantage. Interesting. And the last team, the last team before that was the 97 Bulls. Yeah, yeah. And, the and yeah, the other thing I'd say is say just as a prerequisite to the finals as well, in those playoffs in the first two rounds, the Celtics actually struggled quite a bit and they lost every single away game in the first two rounds of the playoffs, but oh, they won really? every game at home and so managed to advance. Yeah. Okay. I mean, they do have a strong home advantage in the garden. We saw that a couple mm. of years ago when, uh, you know, Kyrie and Gordon Haywood were in, was injured. You remember they were just winning every single home game. No one could beat them. But away there was a bit. Uh. So um, that that's quite surprising though that uh, those more experienced guys felt the heat away from home. Um, but yeah, I think it, this is probably the best example of a of a uh, big three meshing together very very quickly, winning winning mm. a championship in their first season. I'm not sure if that's well. Obviously, we had Kevin Durant joining. Golden State Warriors after, which was a yeah. bit of a different situation. But um, you know, the Miami Heat struggled a lot more, I think, than the Boston Celtics did. Especially in those initial yeah, may, maybe in those initial years, because obviously the Miami Heat still had great success, but they didn't win the championship in that first season nah. coming together. And then mm-hmm. you know, looking at this finals and Allen specifically, whilst a lot of people you know, would see him as that third option of the big three. In that finals, he did up for Pierce. Yeah. Pure scoring. Obviously. Yeah. And I he think also more... shot over 50% from three point rate, from three points. So Ray Allen had a very good series. He did. Yeah. And kind of when you, when you look at it and then go on into the NBA finals and you see that he tied the NBA final record with seven threes in that, in that pivotal game that, they won and they secured his, his first chip in 2008. Mm. It's kind of it come, not full circle, but it shows kind of the leaps and the bounds of the, the, the three-point role that Ray Allen will now play in the Celtics mm. team. And the, their main game plan that when you're not going for Paul Pierce or KG is that you can set screens and traps and get Ray Allen with an yeah. open shot because a term that's used quite a lot with heavy-pointed three three-point players in today's era especially is that Steph Curry and Clay Thompson have the biggest gravity in the league and by that they're collapsing defences and their whole team switching over to the mm. side to make sure they don't get a shot but when you've got a team with KG and Paul Pierce and the defensive rotations aren't as modern as they are today you can't there just wasn't a system set up to, to counteract this where that if your guys are focusing on double teaming KG and Paul Pierce, then you've got to worry about Ray Allen getting an open shot. It was too easy for him to do that sort of thing, especially in a playoff game. Um, 
and and that kind of worked to their advantage and and as and, and was crystal clear with with them winning the chip in 08 so um but we'll touch more on on Ray Allen's time at the Celtics the, the rest of it after this 08 chip and his time at the Miami Heat uh, just after the break Welcome back. Um, and yeah, I mean, basically, we, we spoke about Ray Allen's time in his championship year at the Celtics. So we'll, we'll pick this back up with Ray Allen being uh, in 2009. Um, I don't know where you guys want to kind of go after this and, and then winning, winning the chip and the kind of the feel around the Celtics there. I mean, I, I think we spoke enough about the 2008 finals and I said anyone else wants to say anything. No, no, I've jump. I, I'd, yeah. I'd jump straight to the 2010 final. Yeah. Well, the, the, the one thing I will say is that um, my one little cool, neato stat that I saw for, for Ray Allen was that um, on February the 22nd, 2009, um, Allen broke the Celtics franchise record for consecutive free throws made, which was obviously previously set by um, legendary Larry at 71. Mm-hmm. And uh, Ray Allen broke it with 72. So he bricked it by one. But, you know, he kind of got there and then couldn't can, can keep it going. But. I, I just want to know, would you want to know if he was uh, on that record or not? Absolutely not. No. Do you uh, it would be in my mind. So or not? <laughs> I, I don't think so. Because I think in today's times, I'm sure players are made aware of these niche little yeah. records that they can well, break. You saw it, yeah, you saw it when LeBron passed whoever in like the scoring record or something. But that's, that's a He's done a couple times. That's a bit yeah. different. Yeah, like, the bronze always going to score. Yeah, yeah, that's a big <laughs> record anyway. But like, saying yeah. is like niche is breaking. How many free throws in a row you'll score for it, our franchise? I, I reckon when he got when he got towards it, he probably got made aware of it. That might play into yeah, his mind. I'd agree. Yeah, a little bit. Well, like if, you, if, you, if you're told you're like ten free throws away, and then every time you get you go to the line, you have to think about the fact that one, you're going to miss this shot for a point in the game, and two, you're going to miss the record. I think I think it's a bit different from us to oppose if you're Ray Allen, <laughs> one of the best yeah. shooters in NBA history. Yeah, a little I do bit agree. Different. It would but be uh, it would definitely play in my mind slightly. It's, a bit of pressure. it's interesting to note that he literally broke it. As Larry Bird had seventy one and Ray Allen got seventy two, like literally as soon as he broke it, he he, he like it was missed it's straight away. Maybe it's kind of that mental thing. Yeah, like oh, yeah, I don't care I anymore. Think it probably plays a part. Yeah. Um, well, I don't know. Thing... I mean, Ray Allen, you're obviously listening, so you know, drop us a tweet at Swingman Pod. Let us know. <laughs> did did, did yeah. the Celtics tell you that you was uh, coming up to Larry Bird's free throw mark, and uh, and we'll go from there. So I'd like to know that as well. Uh, one thing before we get on to the 2010 finals is. I would say I think in 2009, I don't have too much to say about him individually, but I'll say that I think the Celtics were quite unlucky to not make another NBA Finals there because they were really, really good that season. Um, but I think Kevin, I think it was Kevin Garnett got injured late on in the season. I think he m- might have missed the playoffs as well. Um, so mm. that obviously swayed things in favour of Orlando, who did make the Finals eventually, and I think Cleveland also competed in that regard as well. So I think they were unlucky to not make the finals that year. Maybe, maybe that's a, a step too early for Kobe against the Boston Celtics at that stage. Maybe they win another chip. I'm not too sure, but um, yeah, that's all I wanted to say particularly. Fair enough. I think that's a 
There's a fair point to make. We could have been in for a, a free point, a free series of of a uh, Boston Celtics versus Los Angeles Lakers in the finals at the end of the decade, which would have been quite mm. interesting. Obviously, the most prevalent uh, rivalry in NBA history. Yeah, but unfortunately, well, I say no. unfortunately. If you're a Celtics fan, it's unfortunate. <laughs> if not, it yeah, didn't I don't happen, think a lot of people so. care for the Celtics. Yeah, I don't think how many people care. <laughs> But anyway, we'll move on to the 2010 NBA Finals. And has anyone got anything to say as a prerequisite before we get into the actual finals itself? Um, not particularly, to be quite honest. I think obviously they were still. This was maybe the. Well, obviously they thought they had Miami a year later, which is an interesting topic. I'm sure we can question, but I feel like all of them may have been mindful of their ages at this stage. And thinking like maybe this is the last the last pop at things if that makes mm. sense. Um, I don't think I actually don't think they were as good as the 2009 season before. I think they've dropped off a little yeah. bit since then. But to be honest, when I looked when I looked back at this finals, mm. it was quite poor. Uh, yeah. The overall play and yeah, just just how just how the finals led out. I don't think either team played particularly great. Yeah, I mean, I think the man, the man who, uh, obviously, apart from Kobe, because this is his first championship outside of Shaq, I think the man yeah. that really does benefit from this series is Pau Gasol. I think he has a really, yeah. really good season, actually. I think he deals with Kevin Garnett, the physicality of all that. I think he was really shook when they played in 2008. Um, so, oh, sorry, this isn't Kobe's first championship. He won the one before, but the second championship. Yeah, anyway. sorry. Yeah, it's um, a big yeah, magic year before. I think he is now mindful a bit more of how to go up against Kevin Garnett, who was obviously notoriously one of the most physical, scary, let's let's just say intimidating players in the league to go up against. Uh, Mm. I think this is the, I watched a couple clips from the series. That's the thing I took away the most. Um, Ray had obviously again dropped off a little bit in terms of production at this stage as well. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, Even with that, Still, he had a poor shooting. Well, poor he had poor shooting throughout the final, the final series as well. Mm. And I think he had settled more into this role as like the spot up shooter in this system. I think he had a bit more handling abilities when he joined Boston than when he did here. Yeah. And he actually talks about. I I listened to an interview with him, and he said that in terms of like the way they were playing, where he didn't have much usage. Because Rondo, Rondo was the guy who was having the ball yeah. a lot of the time. Um, he was actually losing his handle a little bit. He wasn't as sharp with that as he was before. Um, maybe he just wasn't as good as the years before. And um, though he's one of those players that was sort of timeless because he, you know, what he brought to the table, you would have in any team at any age. It's not yeah. something that goes away. Um, the whole collective of him kg paul pierce just wasn't enough this time like it had dwindled a little bit and yeah and i think what you said about him not getting as much of the ball and being that spot up shooter and rondo getting a lot more of the ball i think that played a part in the reason why he ended up leaving yeah the one, also the one... the... rondo used to freeze him out of attacks like just as well, the yeah, he said... rondo was... yeah he said he wouldn't give him the ball 
There was quite a lot of... Obviously, there's a few egos in here, and Ray Allen himself mm. will still, in his mind, even though regardless of the, the few seasons he's been at the Celtics, will still feel as that he's a top-tier NBA player, and every player themselves is going to, in some capacity, is going to rate themselves to think that they're the best basketball player in the world, especially in the top tier of the NBA. Um, and it's kind of when you're in a team like that, you kind of want to prove your worth even more, and that's potentially then going to grind against Rondo, who wants to set the play in. And then you're going to lead to kind of freezing him out and, and stuff like that. But it's a, it's a tough one for, for that. I mean, yeah, I would uh, say just as a final note on, on him in the finals, it, he did break his own record from 2000. I know he said he shot poorly, but there was one game he didn't. And that's that was game he broke the record he set in 2008 and hit those eight in the finals game. Yeah. Um, one thing I want to say on the, on the topic of Rondo, he seems like a quite a difficult personality yeah. in any case. Um, I think at this stage, more so than ever, because he perceived himself, and he was, to be fair at the time, one of the, the better point guards in the league. Obviously, yeah. he was a more traditional point guard. He wasn't someone who was going out and scoring buckets for you. He was setting the setting everybody up quite well. And I also think he was socialised by the guys in that team who are very competitive, very strong-minded, mm. very confident in themselves, most definitely. Ray Allen is included in that because I feel like I, uh, at the start of things, I think uh, Ray Allen was actually sort of a mentor to Rondo in yeah. terms of uh, just showing him the ropes. Ray Allen was a very professional guy, and I think he was probably a good person to do that job. Um, but I feel like... Rondo at this stage was looking at Ray Allen thinking this is the guy who could maybe potentially out of any of them is going to take my my touches my shots away um there's a bit of friction between those two as the seasons mm. develop uh which probably one of the main reasons uh Ray Allen ended up leaving and when you see the reactions to like they, they are all still really annoyed about the fact that Ray Allen left and joined the Miami Heat but Rondo's the guy who seems to hold it against him the most yeah which surprises me a little more because kevin garnett is the one i think oh he's, he must hate his guts um but this is a, a real prevalent beef here perhaps more than we've had in any other swingman podcast yeah and it's interesting it's lasted as long as it has because the, the rondo kg and to a lesser extent now paul pierce yeah would talked about the betrayal they felt with Ray Allen leaving and the fact that he apparently did it quite abruptly and without mm. much notice but at the same time when you hark back to the conversations we're having now you'd think maybe they could see why he left I mean I can see why they're hurt and they're, you yeah, also got to agreed. take into account this. these guys were brought into the league before sort of it was all seen as business you know, people mm. took it personally if you didn't want to play with them. Yeah. Um, and obviously, there was also the, the massive stigma to join in a rival, especially a conference rival like the Miami yeah. Heat were. And they beat him before he joined them that summer, which is the summer of 2012, I believe. Um, they beat him, obviously, in the playoffs. Kevin Garnett is on record saying he thinks he had uh, the Miami Heat that's that uh, series. I, I think you saw that. Like and obviously LeBron comes back. He has one of his definitive games of his career. And yeah. I think they probably think, oh, 
he like he's gone and tipped the scales maybe in their favor mm. i don't think ray allen joining the miami heat is a is like a a death notice for for the boston celtics i just think that was their window i think um, that the 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 situation of one how it was going on i can fully understand why ray allen did what he did but i can yeah. also fully understand why paul pierce kg and rondo have their slight beef and probably it's something that they could potentially be civil to, but we'll never actually ever forgive them. It's similar to kind of any of these guys. When you think, like, even when you think about the last dance, you look at MJ of IT, completely different situations. But even if yeah. they'll say sorry now, they'll never really forgive each other for it. Yeah, I think the, I... the issue with the fact of, of this one in particular as well is that you kind of look and in 2010, the Celtics offered him a two year deal with 10 million a season. And then in this one, they're offering him a two-year deal with six mil seasons. Yeah, he's getting a $12 million up, deal. Yeah. And it's kind of like, right, one, $6 million a season is, in today's time for a player like Ray Allen, regardless of it, is stupidly low. But it's more yeah. of the, the fact of, one, on that point of view, that could be insulting from Ray Allen, from the Celtics as an offer. And two, the fact of that if he's getting annoyed at being kind of Rondo freezing him out, he's also being annoyed at being the third and potentially even fourth option now. When he's, kind of he's coming off the bench at this stage. Yeah, they wanted him to play off the bench. And you're looking at it like that, and, and Ray Allen in himself has that opportunity of, one, he's won a chip. That's what he went to Celtics to do, and potentially he wanted to, to then move on and go and get another chip. And then you have the heat coming. But then what I can see if, from the Celtics' point of view in terms of, KG, Paul Pierce and Rondo is that you're seeing this guy who has helped you win and now he's going over to the Heat. He's taking a three-year deal and due to the fact of the Heat's ridiculous team that they'd acquired, they're in a mid-level exception and he's getting three mil a season. So it's half of what you, the Celtics mm. were offering him for a longer contract. So you kind of, yeah. from that point of view, that's a bit of a, a spit in the face almost to them, especially if he was if he left in the abrupt manner. But it's then yeah. asked about that, what does Ray Allen owe them? So, I think overall, when I look at it, the main thing I take away is that there was a massive lack of communication between a lot of them. And I think if they just talk to each other, and maybe still to this day, because I know, I know Paul Pierce and Ray Allen have spoken to each other since and have managed to bury the hatchet to a certain extent, and the other two have had hardly any communication with him. So I, I think communication was the key there. And just to sum up how deep this rift runs there was a there well doc rivers was quoted as saying when considering this celtics team that he wished he could do a better job of getting that group back together mm. and when the coach at the time has got that to say about it you know there's definitely some problems that run yeah. deep between them uh, they also uh, ray also didn't attend paul pierce's jersey retirement ceremony i think that yeah. was last season uh i think Actually, he posted like a picture on online where he was playing some golf at the time. Mm, so and then a couple of days later, he posted the picture of them two together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, I, I completely get the. I, I I completely understand both perspectives. I think you outlined yeah. it quite well in the the other Celtics' favor, and I think Rayan, you're thinking, oh, I've got a lesser role. I'm being paid less. I've got a less chance of winning the championship while I stay here. It's a completely understandable perspective from both Rangers. There's not really a solution to it that was going to make either side happy, I don't think. I just mm. think this is a, a beef that I can happily say that they should put aside. I think Jordan yeah, Knight can go at it 
all they want. That's funny. I quite appreciate that. <laughs> this one, I don't, I, I don't like it. I think they should come together yeah. again, realize what they've done together. Because you know, this is the Celtics team in the 21st century that's actually won a championship, the only one. Uh, mm. And I think, yeah, I think it would be nice to see them all together. Maybe for KG's jersey retirement ceremony in Boston, which I think they're doing either. Well, it have to be next season now because no crowds. But before Minnesota as well, which is a bit of a painful one. Uh, yeah, at the end of the day, the sport is the sport. Once yeah. once everything's all said and done, you know, the, the personal relationships take precedent. I agree. And I think but there's some sour notes still to that because the the most recent thing I saw with Paul Pierce is saying that kind of it was even with like charity events of that all yeah, the Celtic squad would turn up to, yeah. to Ray Allen's, but then Ray Allen wouldn't turn up to theirs. And it's kind of it rubs off notes that, that will last a lifetime for people. So mm-hmm. it's um I don't think stuff like that is is irretrievable. They'll potentially be able to be civil on a franchise history, but I don't see anything come. I don't think we'll see kind of that. We'll never see a feature film on this Celtics team as a trio. And I mean, yeah, look, they might... and singing Kumbaya around a campfire. They might not be <laughs> best mates, but you can you can be civil and you can bury the hatchet. And I think now that, especially, I know Rondo's still playing, but when they've all retired, they, they, you just put your egos aside. He come might together be the hardest one to get. Out. Oh, Rondo will definitely be the hardest. He's a difficult guy. Yeah, and apparently him and Ray Allen, even from the start, didn't get along particularly well. So, yeah, I think that will be the hardest one. Um, With that being said, I think it's a a good time to eventually move on to the Miami Heat Mm. time. I mean, the era. Uh, There isn't, again... A great load to say here. He did take an, a further diminished role here. He did sort of accept this role playing role yeah. because I don't think uh, he, I don't think he started a single game for the Miami Heat um, in that first season. But you know, it's it's about accepting the role that you've been given. I think he was a bit more comfortable doing it around guys like LeBron, Dwayne Wade, and Chris Bosh, all relatively in their peaks at that moment in time. As well, not so much Dwayne Wade, but yeah, okay, yeah, that's a fair point. Um, but you know, he, he uh, fills in the spot up shooter role a bit more, mm. uh, and I think he's a player that even I mean, he's like 44 now. A, a bit a couple of years ago, I feel like even when he was 40 years, years old, I feel like Ray Allen could probably still play a, a bit part role on a team and do yeah. and, and on a good team as well, on a winning team, but mm. obviously. In that period of time, he does hit, I will say, one of the most iconic shots in NBA history. I I think I would go as far as saying the greatest clutch shot in playoff basketball history. I would go as far as saying that. Mm. Oh, it's up there. Uh, We talked about the Jordan one against. Yeah, the the Jordan one's the first one that comes to mind as the Kawhi one up against it, and the Kawhi one as well. But Damien Lillard, what Damien Lillard twice. Considering that they were facing elimination. Okay. In the finals as uh, well. I yeah, in the finals, which adds to it as well. Obviously, Jordan's in the finals too. But considering they were facing elimination and he had to hit it, otherwise they would lose. Mm. I, I think is. that puts it number one for me. And I would say it's interesting that, and we, we talked about this earlier, whilst in the latter stage of his career, he's obviously not 
at his peak performance, he does have his defining moments here. And before we get a bit more into in depth on the NBA finals in 2013, I would like to quickly say another one of the defining moments he had was when in April 2013, he made his 322nd three-pointer that broke Reggie Miller's playoff three-point record. Yeah, and I think uh, Reggie was a guy who probably throughout his entire career, and people still do now, they compare Ray Allen and Reggie. I think Ray Allen is quite clear of the discussion for me, personally. Um, I think it's a lot closer than that. It's it's weird because it harks back to the the thing we spoke about earlier, once again, of do you like the franchise player or do you like the one that's got the rings? Yeah. I, I'm i not too sure about that because I don't think Reggie exuded franchise... I mean, he had some very clutch moments, don't get me wrong. I don't think he exuded franchise player much more than Ray Allen. I think they had a similar level. I, I think he did, that. personally. I think they had a similar level, but I I do think personality-wise. Reggie Reggie carried that yeah, and personality-wise, Reggie carried that Indiana franchise. Yeah, I yeah. would also agree. I think there's a bit of a gap between Ray Allen and Reggie Miller on that perspective. That's a fair point. But, as you say, in terms of just... Uh, they're both three-point specialists in terms of three-point yeah. scoring. They were very similar, and you'd even probably give the edge to Ray Allen in that situation. And then clutch moments, whilst Reggie probably had more, and you'd maybe give the edge to him. Ray Allen does have the most important one that we're about to talk mm. about. So, Yeah. I mean, is there like a more detailed thing you want to go into in the finals or just the shot in particular? Oh, it's just the shot in particular. Yeah, I'd say there's the shot as well. But the one thing that sometimes gets overlooked... uh, Well, I think it's the shot, but as well. So I'm going to go on to what what I'd say now. Is one thing that gets overlooked is when it went to that overtime when Ray Allen, potentially controversially, some people would say it was a foul, probably mainly San Antonio Spurs fans, when he stripped Ginobili and recovered the ball and then made the, both those free throws. That is, obviously, it doesn't have the same pantomime that making yeah. that time face elimination has, but it's almost as important in, yeah. that, ser- in that game. No, that's a very good point, um, most definitely. And I think, obviously, his real like uh, tangible contributions to the Miami Heat at this time are quite small he's averaging about 10 points a game or whatever mm. but they are valuable you know there's nothing more deflating than seeing a three-point shot going uh it's yeah. something you can't really measure and when you see him with the ball like it's just a coverage as well like as we said he collapses defenses that gives space for lebron uh chris bosh Dwayne wade they all thrived a little bit more in the sort of mm. interior so he did play an important role in that aspect and he was quite serviceable defensively as well i think but um, that shot in particular, I think I gotta say, not enough credit goes to Chris Bosch for that. Uh, yeah, for offensive the offensive rebound. rebound. I don't know what the Spurs are doing to allow him to go get. Yeah, that, but... I mean, it's an all-time <laughs> great offensive rebound. Yeah, and a good pass as well. You know, he knows it exactly right away. And uh, I think don't, don't don't do this. That what? No, I'm just saying. I don't care. That that it's shot. An yeah, it is, but that that is something like you'd see Chris Bosh's mate or Chris Bosh himself being saying to that shot it, and that play is all Ray Allen. 
Yeah, it's like, it's like when someone says the goal and they go, but what about the assist, the assist. though? So, yeah. no, it's like the nine goal, times out of ten, like nine times out of ten, all right, there's there is that one exception where it might be an absolutely stupendous ball that creates that goal, but it is not, it is always the scorer. And this yeah, is Ray Allen's like, moment here. Yeah. That that yeah. is, I, I was thinking about it from a second ago and kind of in, in most clutch shots of, of all time, and it. It probably is because it also saves the heat as well for for yeah, that legacy of that yeah. whole big three and everything along that line yeah. along those lines. I don't, and I will not accept this argument uh, that what people say that Ray Allen saved LeBron's. Yeah, no, that's a stupid this. argument. That's rubbish. It's more of the fact of that he's just part of the team and everyone had their role to do, and Ray Allen fulfilled his role yeah, in the team in that moment when they needed him. Just um, look at what LeBron did in the series. Like, yeah, it's kind of the, it's stuff like that just really winds me up when I see things like yeah, that. I agree. LeBron um, can never stand that uh, type of. Yeah, you're a big point. LeBron fanboy, George. To be fair, <laughs> I'm not really. I don't always have a big LeBron fanboy. I'd, I'd say you are. I'd say I'm a LeBron defender. Yeah, not as big as some. gets unnecessarily hated on. Oh, damn. Yeah, <laughs> LeBron I'd gets agree. unnecessarily hated on because he's LeBron James. So I yeah. agree. As, I uh, when you're at the top, that's what happens. Mm. Yeah, exactly case. true. Um, I watched a, a little clip of Rayan talking about the shot in particular, and he says when he, he's going up for this shot, obviously he's it's just sort of like instinctively he moves his leg back, legs back, obviously to get into yeah. the three point zone. Otherwise, they wouldn't have it wouldn't have mattered if he got the two point shot really. Um, and he says he wasn't even aiming for anything. Pure muscle memory for Ray Allen. There he says. Uh, but shot enough Which, of them to have, muscle, exactly. have the best muscle memory in the league for it. Yeah, and I think when you think about, oh my god, I've got to aim it exactly right here. Otherwise, we're going to go home. LeBron's going to he's going to look like a bum in the media. Uh, <laughs> Louis being this type of person <laughs> right now. Yeah. Like, if you think about all that, like we said about the uh, free throw thing, I think the moment of the like the feelings of the moment will just get to you. I think you just got to get it, do what you've always done, which yeah. Ray Allen always did do. And, uh, yeah, and that's, fantastic that's why so many people put such an importance on these big pressure moments. You know, it separates champions from those elite level players. Oh, honestly, I thought you was about to say pressure makes diamonds. I thought that was coming. <laughs> no, I wasn't. Right I wasn't going that cliche. Oh, I'll, I'll get get in the bath bag ready. But um, but in terms of, I think it's. I wouldn't even. How can you say that that's muscle memory? In what world is he taking so many shots where he's taking a step back three with both the, legs to then fire it in the opposite? The like, form is muscle memory. The form's one oh, of the best forms you ever seen. Oh, I mean, I'm not here disputing. I mean, my jump shot has improved greatly in the past <laughs> month, but I'm not about to sit here with Ray Allen and talk about jump shots. So uh, it's you don't give yourself the... enough credit. You're doing it on one ACL as well. Yeah, yeah it's true. Yeah, I'd like to. Well, Ray Allen did it with two surgical ankles, but. Um, <laughs> It's kind of, I, I mean, anyway, I, I, I will very, I will never argue with that being the most clutch shot. Um, it's for me, it is between that and the Kawhi shot, just basically because the Kawhi shot then gave them their first ever franchise, and they wouldn't have done it if, if not. But because I like the Sixers, I'm gonna say it's Ray Allen, and he had the most clutch shot. So, um, but anyway, r- rounding off that series, the the game seven, the Heat won ninety five eighty eight, and it was their second consecutive championship. Woohoo! That's how mm. I, I I see it from that. So, um, but I mean, yeah, yeah. It'd be nice if it finished on that note. But he did have one more season after, where yeah. they got to the finals and got absolutely stomped, mm. which is which is unfortunate. He still played pretty well in those finals, though. I think that 
I mean, he, he was. He, you would pick up your your player option after winning a winning a championship with the team. Oh yeah, hundred percent. He was still so, he was still a good player. Uh, he was still yeah, I, I can't hate him on that. And and the fact of it, but I think that when you essentially it probably wasn't seen as the viewpoint then, but when you look back at it now and you think that the Spurs lost that series effectively because of that Ray Allen shot of a step back three with two guys, mm-hmm. of one being Kawhi Leonard guarding him, um, you feeling pretty hard done by if you're the if you're the Spurs and that probably mm. was a great catalyst to use for that season. Mm. And then when you get them again, you're thinking, okay, we're gonna go and that's that MJ vibe where yeah. you, you pick up and you're gonna go, right, we're going out. Yeah. It's that baseball bat with the cigar. Crazy. It's good to talk trash. Let's see it when they're winning it. It's that court sort of thing. So, I will yeah. say I did have a I did have a look up of those stats in that series just because I was interested. And LeBron actually has a really good series in that 2014 finals. Yeah, I think they were all just quite fatigued at that stage. Yeah. Two straight finals. Dwayne I mean, Wade obviously had his massive health problems. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that will never get mentioned because there's like 65-year-olds that are on certain American talk shows that go by the name of Skip and wear Jordans like with suits and say that he's a bum. So, um <laughs> No way, screams though. He's the second best player in NBA history. Yeah, some people say that. Um, but anyway, yeah, I mean, after that, he became a, a free agent in the off season, um, and, and that was it. Really, he kind of, I think, did, he he did quietly come back. retired. Yeah, quietly retired. I think he could have played on longer. Quite frankly, yeah, like we agree. said, he's one of those timeless players that has a role on any any team really. Well, yeah, a player I'd liken him to, who he's much better than, but similar sort of style is Carl Culver, who at yeah. the moment is able yeah, yeah. to go on. A team like Milwaukee, purely because of the specialist type of player that he is and what he offers to a team. Yeah, what was you going to say? Did I, just, did I just hear that you're likening Ray Allen to Carl Culver? Well, as I said, he's a much better player Allen, than Carl Corbett yeah. will ever be, but it's just those kind of players. I could, I could name a few others who are those three-point specialists that will have a place. Yeah, that will have a place on most teams purely because of what they offer. I mean, if I was and that, and that a... sort of play lasts longer than other styles of play that are more on athleticism Granted. and explosiveness. I'm not Granted. saying Cole Corbett is as good, a, anywhere near as good a player as Ray Allen is. That's stupid. No, I mean Ray Allen. I, I think that. Ryland does sort of get overlooked of the, the other abilities of his game, but he had to tone them out to then play in that three-point role. Like he did yeah, I'm talking handle. towards the end of he his career. He was very athletic not, and very... Yeah, I'm not like, talking about the start of his career or in his prime. No. It's just the end. It's just yeah. the end. Oh, right, okay. I mean, if I was going to compare Ray Allen to kind of a player in today's NBA, where, where would you compare him and Clay Thompson? Very I mean, I think Clay's... Clay's a better defender than Ray Allen ever was. Yes, fair point. Um, Ray Allen was probably could create his shot a bit more, had a bit more of a handle in his prime, yeah. was a bit That's more athletic. But Clay, Clay was that better defender. And to be honest, Clay is. I know Ray Allen holds a lot of those three point records, but Clay is probably a better shooter than he is. Yeah, I think if you place Ray Allen and Clay Thompson as like your leading guy in a franchise, I think you're you'll have a better win total with Ray Allen than Clay Thompson. Yeah, most likely, but yeah. Maybe for the complementary role, Clay Thompson is just a little bit better for, for yeah, the reasons you sure. mentioned, free and D, yep. basically. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so just before we, we round this up, just want to put it to you guys as well. In terms of all-time shooting guards, where would you have Ray Allen? 
so obviously MJ, Kobe, Dwayne Wade, Dwayne Wade, Jerry West. If you count him as a shooting guard, I know some would say point shooting. I'd say shooting guard. So yeah, I'd say let's put him a shooting guard. After um, that, I think it's probably a toss up between him, Reggie Miller, and then. George Gervin, if you count him as a shooting guard, I know some would yeah, say shooting guard forward. I think he played most of most of his games at shooting guard, so you'd probably throw him in the mix as well. So I'd say them three are probably the next ones, and you can give or take. Um, I mean, I'd, I'd have him in a top ten. I think that yeah, that's... definitely top ten, hundred percent top ten. Clyde Drexler, you got to think about Clyde Drexler. Yeah, Drexler Clyde, Drexler, Clyde, I, Clyde, good, yeah. I'd yeah, take Ray Allen over Clyde Drexler. Oh yeah, so would I. But I, James I Harden. Top ten, yeah. James Harden's probably Reggie top Miller. Ten. We talked about. Yeah, yeah I already said, I already said not, Reggie Miller. Sorry. He's guaranteed top ten. We've not mentioned Alan Iverson yet. Yeah, Alan Iverson. Uh, yeah. That's depends He's if probably you the point guard or a shooting guard. Yeah, he, he, I mean, he obviously was um handled the ball a lot more than some of the yeah. people on the list, but and he was listed as a shooting guard. Yeah, it's a bit of a difficult one for him. He's definitely had more duality than a lot of these players did. But yeah, I think we can all agree he he he's definitely in the top ten. But he's just top ten, no doubt. The, top ten, no yeah. Doubt. The 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 mid the mid tier of the the back yeah, end, yeah, middle, middle of that. I, I wouldn't say back end. I'd probably put him in the middle. Cool. I mean, I mean, uh, and that, yeah, and that and that sums up Ray Allen for us, and that and that that brings to close to it. Yeah, he did have a few talks with kind of returning back uh, to basketball. He had a. A bit of a sit down with the Celtics and things like that, but I think it was uh, was agreed that it was it was good for him to retire, and he, he did retire on uh, the first of November, twenty sixteen, uh, inducted into the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame in twenty eighteen, yeah. and then played in the uh, All Star Game in well the Celebrity All Star Game in February twenty nineteen last year. So, um, but but that rounded him up. So sort of a two time NBA champion, ten time All Star kind of and that's Ray Allen for it and he'll always be in NBA and basketball history and just for that shot at, at the heat and everyone who knows basketball will know that will know that shot and that will be shown for generations to come yeah um and that's how we're gonna we're gonna now shine the light off of Ray Allen and, and we'll move on but th- that is that's that make sure you're following us on our socials uh we're on Twitter we're on Instagram we're on Facebook at Swingman Pod um Check out our website, www.swinglandpod.com. Um, and yeah, that's it. So uh, we've got normal NBA basketball. It's kind of their, their, I think they've nailed down all of the return no, dates in terms of when, yeah, it's coming. Yeah, of when they're going to be lands. returning into it. And they're going to be, yeah, it's exactly it. Can't wait to see Dwight Howard on the rides. But um, that, that's sort of the thing with it, really. So they're, they're going to have um, a structure set out and we'll, we'll hear more about the scheduling and when the games are going to be played and when the dates are set. Um, for the games but but until then make sure you're following us on uh, all of our socials and you're subscribing to us on Spotify and onto our um, our iTunes site and yeah that's it we'll catch you in the next one peace